Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Danny Innie. Uh, Danny's the founder of Miracy, a host of the Business Reimagined podcast, and best-selling author of multiple books, including Engagement from Scratch, The Audience Revolution, and Teach and Grow Rich. And he's also the creator of the acclaimed Audience Business Masterclass and Course Builders Laboratory Training Programs, which have graduated over 5,000 value-driven entrepreneurs. Danny's a great friend of mine and someone who I really think of that's on top of his game. And, and really just there's the making money side of what we do on a business. And then there's the making an impact. And I feel like a lot of people lose sight of this this last part. And it's the lasting legacy. And this is actually making a difference in people's lives with what we do. And I think Danny's just one of those guys that he's leading the way and he's someone be, to be looked to uh, in that area. So Danny, I'm so glad to have you. Chandler, I'm honored. I'm excited to be here. Um, this is going to be fun. Let's uh, let's do this. All right. So first, I want to take it back to your very first book and mm-hmm. take, give us a little peek into why you decided to write your first book and, and really what was the purpose for that book for you? So I have to uh, ask a clarifying question because there is the first successful book that I wrote, which was uh, <laughs> in 2011, we published it. Um, and then there's the book I wrote and published in... I think like 2006, that when I didn't know anything and it didn't do well at all, and it was about like totally unrelated to my current career. So wh- which first book do you want me to talk about? Mm. Let's briefly touch on the first okay. book and maybe some lessons learned with that. And then let's transition into like the next one and what that meant for like you and your business. practical first book. Yep. Got it. So my first first book is a book about writing. I was 23 when I wrote and published this. Um, but I found that I was coaching a lot of people on their writing in different contexts. I was giving a lot of people the same advice. I was like, I should, you know, I couldn't find a good resource to recommend. I was like, I'm going to write this. So I wrote it out. I think for what it is, it's still a good book. Self-published it. Had a book I could hold in my hand. It was totally awesome. And, you know, I knew nothing about marketing. I, I figured you just put it up there. People must buy it, right? Like, that's how it works. So maybe over its lifetime, it sold a few hundred copies. Its lifetime being like 10 years now. And I learned from that and from, you know, I mean, I, I made my way into the world of marketing later in my career. I was like, okay, you know, obviously I, that, I didn't do that right at all. The next book that I published is Engagement from Scratch. I published that on November 29th, 2011. And this was a really interesting book because it was a compilation book. So I had 30 co-authors. Each one contributed a chapter. I wrote a couple of chapters at the beginning. I edited the whole thing, put it all together. And it's interesting because it's the, I hate compilation books. I can't stand them. I find they're usually like super shallow and, you know, everyone says kind of the same thing. And like, it's not the kind of book that I would enjoy at all, but it's very much what I felt the market needed. And, you know, at the time, the topic is engagement, how to build engagement with your audience, how to do it if you're starting from scratch, because, you know, engagement from scratch. And at the time, there was a lot of talk about engagement, but it all kind of assumed you already had an audience. 
right? There was nothing about like, you know, okay, so if I'm if I'm Dove or I'm Coca-Cola, this is how I build engagement. But what if my email list is like, you know, me, my other email address and my mom, then what do I do? Like, and there was no, there's no good information. There were no good resources. And so I wanted to get the insight, the input I needed. And this was very much a book that was engineered to be a marketing tool for my business. And the book did phenomenally well. I mean, it's been downloaded through various channels, I don't know, maybe 120,000 times over its lifetime. And it really, in a lot of ways, put me on the map, grew my initial audience, and paved the way for what I would then write with my later books, The Audience Revolution and Teach and Grow Rich, which I completely wrote myself. So and we can go wherever you want from there. But uh, nope. those are my two sliding door stories of uh, my first book. <laughs> Now tell me, when you say the book was engineered to be a marketing tool for your business, what do you mean by that? I mean, it's not the book that I wanted to write because I was passionate about it. It's the book that I knew the market wanted. I knew the audience I wanted to reach. They needed and wanted this information. And even the selection of the co-authors that I invited to participate, it was very intentional. I mean, a lot of people, what they try to do is get 30 of the biggest names they could possibly find, which is frankly hard to do. Or they get like 30 of their buddies. And I didn't do either of those things. I got a handful of like, I mean, this is at the time, a lot of the people who who contribute to my book are like huge deals now. But at the time, there were a handful of like really top tier people. Guy Kawasaki contributed a chapter. Mitch Joel contributed a chapter. Brian Clark contributed a chapter. And these are all people with whom I'd worked hard to build relationships. And getting the first few people is, is the hard part. After that, the pitch changes from, hey, do you want to write a chapter for my book? to, hey, do you want to be in a book with Guy Kawasaki and Brian Clark and Mitch Joel? The much easier pitch. But the people I went after for the rest of kind of my co-authors were people who were kind of halfway in between, like they weren't rock stars yet, but they weren't just starting out. They were the people who had an audience, they had reach, but they were like not quite there yet. So they'd be very excited about being in an actual book with these people they look up to, but it's also they have an audience they could tell about it. So it was really planned and structured to help me grow my reach in that way. And it, it, it worked very, very well. Got it. Now, a c- couple follow-up questions on that. I guess, A, how did you know that this is the book that the market wanted? And then the second question would be, how did you get those bigger names? And, and, and like what, what does the pitch look like to even get someone to be a guest contributor for your book? Great question. So in terms of how did I know this is what the market wanted? Well, I'd already been active in the space. I kind of started out in this world um, in the beginning of 2011. You know, at the time I, I earned the name the Freddy Krueger of blogging because I was uh, guest posting everywhere. And someone noticed me, commented on a bunch of the posts. He's like, wow, Danny, wherever I turn, you're there. It's like you're Freddy Krueger. So I was out there and I was publishing and I was interacting. And from the discussions that were being had on my posts and the comments and the feedback, I was getting a sense for what it is people wanted and what they were, they were responding to, what they were looking for. So that's kind of a big part of where that came from. Now, what the pitch was, I mean, it was essentially, I'm putting this book together and I'd like to invite you to contribute a chapter. Now, that being said, and, you know, I put a nice pitch together and here are all the people that I'm approaching, many of whom ended up not being interested, but like kind of to set the target for who I was trying to, what I was trying to do with the book. You know, I thought we were going to have sponsors. Like I really put a lot into trying to make this look serious and professional, but it's also really important to keep in mind that like you want to recognize what kind of an ask this is. Mitch Joel, who's a, a friend of mine and one of my co-authors, he said this to me and it's like, I don't remember how he said it. It sounds a little arrogant and he's really not like that. Like he's the nicest, humblest, most helpful guy I know. But what he basically said is that, look, you know, when Seth Godin asked him 
to contribute to the End Malaria book project, like Seth Godin was doing him a favor. When I asked Mitch to contribute a chapter to my book, Mitch was doing me a favor, right? And and that's the case. Like that's, you know, it's not about arrogant. It's just, I was just starting out. I was, that's what it was. And so recognizing that's what it was. And, you know, Mitch helped me out because he's a nice guy and, you know, we'd interacted a little bit and he wanted to help out. Guy Kawasaki helped out because I had done a lot to promote his previous book, Enchantment, and uh, made some introductions and kind of, I, I did what I could before I had anything to ask for. I had written for Copyblogger, which is Brian Clark's blog, maybe half a dozen times before then. So I had worked hard to earn the relationship, to earn the, it's not to earn the favor because they didn't owe me anything and they could have easily said no, but to earn the attention for them to give consideration and say, you know what? Yeah, I'll help you out. Got it. And how, what was the way that you positioned it in a way that it made sense for them? Because I know a lot, of, a lot of times when you see something like this, it's like, What's in it for me? And then also, how much of my time is this going to take up? So like, was there a particular way in which you positioned it where it's like, this does make a lot of sense for you? So here's the thing. Like, I, I mean, you know, we're, we're recording this uh, interview for a summit. I get approached to participate in summits once or twice a week. And they all try to come at me and be like, you know, your, your message is going to be exposed to this many hundred thousand people. And you know, I, I've, I'm savvy enough. I've been around enough to know that, like, I'm, uh, can I swear? I was going to say that's bullshit, but like, it's just, it's not true. <laughs> what they're doing is they're adding up the audience size of all the people who are on the summit. Now, they're not all going to promote. They're not, not all going to promote aggressively. Of those who do, only a small subset of people are actually going to get engaged with the summit. Of the people who engage with the summit, not all of them are going to see my interview. Of the people who see my interview, most of them are not going to click through and kind of explore my stuff further. When you follow the math through, like the exposure is minimal. The self-publishing summit is a very well-organized summit, so that's not necessarily what's going on here. But whenever somebody approaches me, and you know, if they're working hard, if they're trying to get something off the ground, they're just getting started, and they're putting in the time and elbow grease to try to make it into something great, and they're like, I'd love to have you on my summit. You know what? A lot of people helped me out when I was getting started that they that didn't have to, and you pay it forward, right? So I'm I'm happy to give an hour of my time to give some useful and valuable, hopefully, input to this person and you know maybe lend my name and, and help them to build something if they're putting in the effort. But when they try to present it as they're doing me a favor, it's like, no, I'm sorry, you're not, that's that's not what's going on here. So I think it's really important to, yes, you want to present what's in it for them, but you also want to be realistic about like you don't want to present what's in it for them when that's not really true. Yes, you know, I was trying to get all these great people on board and it, it did turn out to be a very successful book. It did very well. But the cold hard reality is that Mitch and Brian and Guy did me a favor. I, I didn't do, a, do them a favor by letting them participate in this book. And to pretend that that's what was going on would be disingenuous. And they're smart enough to know better. That's great insight. Now, you're a very strategic guy. And that's, I think, one of my favorite qualities that I look at what you do and it's, it's like it's always strategic, right? There's always a purpose behind it. So uh, my next question would be, what was the strategy from a marketing perspective, what was the strategy behind having all those co-authors uh, in this book? Well, this, the two sides, right? One is the core question being, how do you build an engaged audience from scratch? I didn't have the experience or qualification to answer that question. I mean, I had a perspective on it. and I'd gotten some results already, but there were lots of ways to do that. And just I, I couldn't answer it effectively myself. But also, I wanted to create a book that all of these people would want to promote. Like that they would want, and you know, again, Brian Clark and Mitch Joel and Guy Kawasaki. I mean, 
they were great and helpful and they gave me good advice. But like, you know, they're they're they show up everywhere all the time anyway. This is not a big deal for them. But for everyone else, this was a huge deal. And, you know, back then this was uh roundup posts was a big deal. A lot of people were doing like, you know, I'm gonna ask 30 people their ideas and I'll I'll you know, I'll, I'll have a paragraph from each of them, turn it into a roundup post, and everyone will promote me, except that, you know, it's, it's a shitty post. Like, nobody's going to promote it because it's a stupid question. You're getting the same answer from 30 people. And, like, why why would anybody care? Right? So I, I worked really hard to, in terms of what I asked them for, it was not much more than that, right? It was, you know, write me a few pages, give me your perspective. That would be enough. But I worked super hard editing it. We produced it into this beautiful book. It was a a non-standard book size because when it arrived, I didn't want it to feel like just another book. I spent the money to, and you know, I had no money at the time, but I spent the money to send, um, I think, two or three copies to each of my co-authors in the mail because I wanted there to be a bit of a thud. I wanted them to open it and hold it in their hands and be like, "Wow, this is real." I wanted them to have an extra one that they like. You know, I, I don't need two. I'll give it to someone. I really worked hard to make it feel like, okay, this is special, this is impressive. And that's where you really get that mileage because, you know, getting someone to take a chance on you is not that hard. But then the question is, how do you measure up against their expectations? I just said I participate in tons of these summits. And I did one for a woman named Hannah about a month ago or so. And she was so well prepared and she asked such great questions. And like I've done maybe a dozen of these or, or 20 or 30 since the beginning of the year, but that one stands out when she reaches out to me. And I said, you know, keep me posted. Let me know how your business is growing. When H- someone is- Yeah, that's her. Exactly. Cool. She's, she's one of our students. That's so awesome. She, she's fantastic. So that's the key thing. Like it's not that hard to get someone to give you a chance, but whether or not they're going to want to tell other people and recommend you and endorse you is a lot less about getting that first chance and a lot more about what do you do after you've been given that chance? That's fantastic advice. Uh, and one that's probably going to go deep with some people because it's confronting the truth. It's like, how lazy are you when someone gives you an opportunity? Like, are you going to take it or are you going to put in the work necessary to go above and beyond? Under promise, over deliver, as my dad would always say. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I had a, I heard this from Mitch Joel, actually. but And this is really interesting because, you know, it's the self-publishing Summit, this is what we're talking about. But in the world of traditional publishing, I mean, you know how hard it is to get an agent to represent your work. Once you have an agent, you know how hard it is to land a book deal and get an advance. What you may not know, and this was staggering to me, is what an incredibly high percentage of people, after they get the agent and the book deal and the advance, never write the freaking manuscript and have to return the advance. And there's legal battles and everything. Because they think like, okay, I landed the deal, I've made it. Now is when I can, I, I don't have to keep working anymore. And it's like, that, that was just shocking. Wow. Yeah. That's something you wouldn't even think about. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's dive into some of the marketing of this first book. You said uh, 120,000 copies distributed up until this point. What are some of the major things that you've done from a marketing perspective to move copies of the book? And then I guess we'll move kind of more into how has that led into it, the book being a mar- an actual marketing tool for your business? For sure. It really comes uh, directly together. It's not separate things. So um, it is self-published. So I controlled everything, which is very important. There's no way a publisher would let me do what I did with that book. But the book was available on Kindle. It was available in paperback. And it was available as a free PDF download on my website. And when they get the PDF, they opt in to my list, right? So they become part of my audience. And that allows me to build my reach. 
I encouraged all of my partners to, I gave them like all the support they needed to like, hey, I'm in this great new book. You can check it out here on Amazon or you can go here to download it for free. Whenever I wrote a guest post anywhere, the byline was pointing people back to get my book. When I would do a webinar for a partner audience, thank you so much for registering for my webinar. By the way, why don't you go grab my book? You can get it here for free. And a lot of people were like, aren't you cannibalizing book sales by doing that? And my answer is that, first of all, no, I don't think I am. Because for every person who wants the book enough to buy it, there are probably 10 or 20 who will download it for free. And if it's good, of those 10 or 20, there's at least one or two who are going to go through it. And they'll be like, you know what, this is great. I don't want to read 247 pages on a PDF file on my computer. I'm just going to spend the whatever, however many dollars it is to get up to get an actual copy. So I think it boosted sales. But even if it didn't, I mean, you know this, people don't make money selling books. Like if you're Malcolm Gladwell, yes. If you're J.K. Rowling, yes. If you're almost anybody else, you don't make meaningful money selling books. I mean, my books have actually done quite well. And I think over my career, over the last 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, like I don't think I've made more than $30,000, $40,000 off my books. And that's a lot of money to make selling books, right? But like in that first year, in 2012, we made maybe $12,000, $15,000 selling books and about a quarter of a million dollars selling other stuff to people who download my book for free. So if I cannibalized all my book sales, that would be totally fine. Mm, yeah, and that's and that's probably just 250K that's directly tracked, right? Mm-hmm. That's the tough thing uh, uh, about tying, about kind of measuring that ripple effect. Now let's talk about what are some of the things that you did for that very first book, or I guess not the very, very first book. Yeah, um, the second the, first book. The, yeah, the second first book. What are some things you did for that book in the initial marketing that worked really well? Like, how has that been different from the ongoing marketing efforts that you've had since then? I'm sure you, you teach people in self-publishing school about having, um, I mean, different people call it different things, but like basically a, a, a team that is going to help support the launch. Yep. Now, the challenge with that is that usually what people do is they get together a bunch of their friends and a bunch of their fans who maybe they'll like the book, maybe they want to support you, but they have no influence in your industry, right? My team supporting the book was my co-authors and I didn't go to them and... This actually again, you know, ties back to ties back to the same advice about kind of expectations. You know, before the book was published, I spoke with some of my co-authors and was like, how do you th- how can I get all these people to promote? And the feedback was, and I really took this to heart. I've I've advised people on this a lot of times, is that you know, a lot of these people have all they they've already worked hard, they've written me an essay. You know what? Now is not the time for me to ask them for anything. Now's the time for me to deliver and impress. And if I've done a good job, they'll want to tell people. But like, don't try to control it. Don't try to force it because you just come off like a jerk. So I didn't have any arrangement where it's like, you know, every author, every co-author has to email twice or anything like that. But it's a really good book. Um, And so a lot of people did promote. A lot of people did email their lists and tell people about it. And that was engineered, but it wasn't forced, right? Two very different things. So that was kind of the initial thing. The ongoing Whenever someone would interact with me and it's like, whether it's, it's in person, whether it's by email on my website, if I want to give them a next step to learn more, it's like, hey, by the way, my book is a bestseller. You can go here and get it for free. It's an easy next step. They didn't yeah. replace yep. other marketing. It was like, it was the add-on to other marketing for my business. And I want to dive into that a whole lot more. Um, one quick question before we do that. 
on the review side of things, you got 214 reviews uh, on that book, which is, which is solid. Is there anything that you did uh, upfront or any sort of follow-ups campaigns that you had for reviews or anything that you did to really make sure that you had a lot of reviews on the book? I'm glad you asked because there, there's two things I did that, are, that worked really, really well for me. The first is that, I mean, you know, if somebody buys a book on Amazon, you have no, like you can't email them, you can't contact, you've got nothing. But if they download it off my website, I, I can reach out. And so part of the just standard follow-up email was, you know, about two weeks later or whatever, hey, do you like the book? If you did, I'd love you could leave a review. And if not, I'd love to hear why so I can improve it. And what I also did, and this was interesting, I, I don't do this anymore because just my audience is too big and I don't have the bandwidth. But at the time, I would also send another email like a week or two later saying, every so often, I don't remember how I wrote this email. It was a good email. But essentially what I did was um, I said, hey, you know, by the way, people are sometimes afraid to reach out and ask for an interview. If you want me to come on your podcast or your whatever and talk about the book, I'm more than happy to. Now, this didn't land me on any big podcasts. You know, for a lot of people, it was like their first interview. Or, you know, I've started a podcast or, or an interview series like three months ago. Would you come on? And they all remember that, like, I gave them attention and I gave them a chance when nobody else would give them the time of day. Like, I still remember the people who did that for me. And I think that was a worthwhile investment. You know, occasionally you get some exposure, you get some traction. So that's something that that people can experiment with, too. But there wasn't any, like, you know, have 50 people ready to pounce on Amazon and leave a review on day one. It was just like, you know, if you like the book two weeks later, hey, would you mind leaving a review? That was it. Got it. And one follow-up email. Yeah, I think I might have had two. I had one and then I had another one a few weeks later saying, hey, you know, I reached out a few weeks ago. A lot of people said, you know, I want to. I just haven't gotten to finishing it yet. So if that was you, here's a reminder. If you already did it, thank you so much. That was it. Perfect. Cool. Now let's talk about using the book to grow the business. And and you've not only obviously done this with the first book, but with multiple books since then. So Take us through that path from someone either buys your book on Amazon or they download it from your site. Like, What are next steps for them? And how, how can they go from that to purchasing other courses or uh, investing and in growing themselves through other things that you guys offer? It depends. Very easily, if someone goes from the book, opts into our email list because they wanted a bonus through the book or because they downloaded the book, that is what they came to us for. Whatever that kind of path to us is, once they get on our email list, it's an opportunity for us to nurture the relationship, share value. And when there is something that would be of value to them, they may or may not want to buy it. Right. That's the very easy kind of, you know, marketing 101 way of doing things. And, you know, marketing 101 can do a lot. <laughs> marketing 101 is pretty powerful. What we've done more recently with my later books is we've made that link from because the first book was really it wasn't about selling anything in particular. Right. And again, it comes down to where are you in the growth of your business? When you're just starting out, the point is not I want to launch a book and then sell a course on the back end of it because, you know, if 30 people get the book, it doesn't matter. Like the point of the book is to have people discover who you are and start building your audience. And so that's really what I was looking to do there. I was looking to create a book that people would be interested in, that people would share, that would get that exposure. After I had an audience, it was more a matter of let's write a book that kind of shares my ideas, my philosophy that leads into what I offer and what I teach, right? So that there's a much more direct path. So, in, so essentially, the book becomes the first big piece of marketing in the launch of a product with Teach and Grow Rich, um, which we launched in September of uh, 2015. And uh, we did $2.6 million um, within a month on product sales on that book launch. And 
the book did very well because it was part of a launch, but you know, all the money doesn't come from the book sales. It came from product sales. Got it. So you're talking about effectively, you know, people have these big product launches and, uh, and the, the big thing is your pre-launch content, right? So it almost sounds like what you're doing here is you're using the book as part, like the book launch itself as part of the pre-launch content. Can you kind yeah, of explain exactly. that concept and, and how that fits into that, like you said, more of that direct path to your other sure. offerings? Like let's let's rewind a little bit to where I mean, everyone who's watching us. I'm sure you've seen these like you know three video product launches where it's like you know you teach something, you teach something, you teach something. Hey, buy my thing. We've all seen that, right? So what people don't realize is that if you go back, like you know, scroll back five, ten years to where this came from, where did this product launch model emerge? Right back then, people used to sell things with just a big ass sales page. And that's where people would go, see the sales page, and that's it. And Jeff Walker at the time, his innovation was the sideways sales letter. It was instead of someone going and reading a big, long sales page, let's deliver the first part in content. It could be a video. It could be something else. Deliver the second part. Deliver the third part. And then once they've kind of they've understood the need, understood the demand, then there is the offer. There, there's a few things that are powerful about that. First of all, it's more consumable. But second of all, People look at things differently when they're looking at you to learn from you and when they're looking at you as someone who's trying to sell them something. And when you come to the point of presenting an offer, people should evaluate critically and decide if it's something they want or not. But the unfortunate reality is that people are doing themselves a disservice when they are critically evaluating rather than learning before you're even trying to sell anything. And so the three videos was... At the time, it was new. It was, hey, I'm just, I'm teaching something. I'm delivering content, sharing ideas, which is what, as Gary Vaynerchuk says, marketers ruin everything, right? So a lot of people did not deliver any value. And people now are like, oh, three videos. You're just trying to sell me something. There's nothing here. But what you should be doing is delivering real value, real education, helping people understand why there is a need for the sort of thing that you're offering, why you're someone who knows what he's talking about, who they can trust. In other words, it breaks the regular shape of a product launch, of the way something is sold. And at this point, the market's pretty saturated. These three, Everybody knows when they see three videos, they know exactly where this is going. Nobody's looking with an open mind at anything. And part of our job as leaders in an industry is to find ways of packaging and sharing our knowledge and our information in a way that people will be receptive to. Now, at the end of the day, when you know it's time to present an offer, yes, you've got a video, you've got a sales letter, people know what that is. We're not looking, there's no funny business there. But you do want to create a scenario where people will listen with an open mind to what you have to say before you get to the point of presenting an offer. And a book is very powerful in that it's something real, right? A book on Amazon, especially if it's not just a Kindle, it's like a real book, it's a real thing, and it's something that it, people pay more attention to. Now, again, you know, marketers ruin everything. I've seen some people who are like, oh, you know, if I make my first piece of launch content a book rather than something else, more people will read it. So they put together, pardon my language, but like a piece of shit book that doesn't deserve to be a book. It's like a sales letter in the form of a book. I mean, you can see, you find these books on Amazon. I'm not going to name names, but like when there's an average of 2.4 stars, you know it's not very good, right? So I'm not saying to do that. I'm saying like write a real good legitimate book that does what pre-launch content should do, which is educate the market to understand what is different in reality from their perception of reality that opens a possibility for them to accomplish something that is meaningful. Sorry, that was a, a bit of a long answer and and uh, a bit of a rant kind of wound into it. Yeah, no, that was great. 
Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. How, how does the book fit into the flow of your launches? And I guess that would be my first question. Then also, how do you counter the, the consumption part of it, right? Because a book for most people is it's a much longer time for, there's a much longer time for consumption as opposed to let me watch this 15 minute video and I can do that without having any physical effort on my part. I just sit here and watch the video. So I guess the first question would be, how do you deal with that consumption? And then, and then the second question would be, how does the book fit in with the other things leading up to your product launch? Okay, great question. So, uh, and they're, they're kind of tied together. So in terms of the structure of a launch in general, something that um, we've found uh, with our own testing, we've seen a lot of our peers do this testing, more people will opt in to get something that they can download or take or get than they will for a video because a video is like effort right now. But having opted in, more people will watch the video than consume the whatever they're getting, the PDF, the book, the etc. Um, so typically what we'll do is, um, and we'll do this with the book, where people will opt in to get the book and they opt in and on the thank you page there is, here's how to get it for free on Kindle if we're doing the five days free. Here's our uh, bridge summary here, like whatever the, the consumption instructions are. And we'll have a video that's about 15, 20 minutes long explaining the core ideas for the book to both give them an overview and reinforce why they should read the book, like to encourage consumption. So that pushes people, encourages people to consume. And then, frankly, you know, how much people read of your book depends a lot on how the first three pages read. So, I mean, write a good book. In terms of a timeline... Are you releasing this book a month before the product is launched? Two weeks? No, 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 not even, not even. So like we literally treat it as, now keep in mind, this is my latest book. This is Teach and Grow Rich that we used in our last launch. So, I mean, it's not a thick book. Okay, it is 90 pages. The print is, um, it's pretty big. You can read this in an hour and a half. So it's it's not a huge thing to consume. I don't know that if it, if it was bigger, like I'm going to do a revised and expanded edition probably early next year. Um, I don't know that that would change my launch timeline, but just keep in mind, like you can consume this pretty quickly. And, you know, but that said, I mean, I just read a book um, last week called Disrupted by Dan Lyons. And it's, I mean, I don't know how long it is because I read it on Kindle, but it's not, I mean, it's, it's definitely much longer than my book. And I read it in 24 hours because it was really good. And I started reading it on a, on a flight and I just made the time. I wanted to finish reading it because it was really good. So it's much less about the length of your book and much more about like make it a really, really, really good book. That said, what we would typically do is like if we release the book, um, we announce the book, we start the launch of the book. It's free for five days on Kindle um, if you want to do that route. And there are arguments for and arguments against. That's our first piece of pre-launch content. The second piece of pre-launch content will go out on day four or five. So basically as the free for five days ends. The third piece will be on day, I don't know, eight or nine-ish. Then we'll lead into a webinar and lead into the offer. Like the whole launch is about a 17-ish day thing. And the book launch is the first four or five days of that. 
Got it. And that's 17 days start to finish or that's 17 start days to start? start. To okay. So not even like just till the car open. That's like car closed. Car closed. Yeah. Perfect. Now you've, you did this with the Teach and Grow Rich book. Have you done this exact model with, with other product launches? Well, no, if you do the same exact thing twice, then you haven't learned anything from the first one. So no, but uh, um, before Teach and Grow Rich, I wrote the Audience Revolution. Um, and we used that for a, a launch of our Audience Business Masterclass in April of 2015, April of last year. It feels longer, but uh, April of 2015. And that was like our first attempt at like, let's try this model. So what we did with Teach and Grow Rich was much more um, robust and sophisticated. That's what I want to kind of dive into is what are the lessons learned between the two times uh, that, that you've done that? And then how, is, how has that changed? Um, it hasn't changed dramatically, but we just put a lot more into it. Like what I've learned over and over again is that projects that you resource properly with enough time, money, manpower, whatever, are the ones that tend to do well. Now, with the audience revolution, with our launch of the audience business masterclass, it was a relatively last minute thing. Relatively, it was incredibly last minute. Like, I think we decided to do it, like with the book and include all that stuff, like six to eight weeks before the launch started. So I essentially wrote the book. And and I mean, I've been writing since I was a kid. So I'm, I'm an experienced writer and I write very quickly. But I wrote the book over the course of 10 days got it done, got it edited. And, and by the way, like, you know, don't skimp on stuff. Like we got it professionally edited. We, we did all that stuff. Um, but it was just really quick. Whereas with uh, Teach and Grow Rich and, uh, and the Course Builders Laboratory that we did in September, and we were working on that for six plus months. Now, biggest lessons learned, I guess, from between those two things you did differently? Uh, there's not a lot that we did very differently. So I guess what I would encourage people to do is People often think the book is the core of what you're doing. So it's like, make it a great book. And it it should be a great book. I'm not saying not to make it a great book. But your offer is the core of what you're doing. What you're selling is the core of what you're doing. And you want to make sure that the book leads to people wanting that offer. And with the audience revolution, it's not as direct of a step. It was a little more of a stretch to make that happen. Whereas with Teach and Grow Rich, it was built to lead in that direction. And it's not a worse book. Teach and Grow Rich is probably the best thing I've ever written. Like, I'm incredibly proud of it. I mean, I'm, I'm biased, obviously, but it's, it's really good. And look at the reviews. Like, you know, there's an occasional one-star review from someone who's like, either, I've basically got three categories of one-star review. One, people are like, this book is short. Like, yes, but that has nothing to do with the quality, the content, the ideas, anything. Two, I don't like Danny because he sells stuff. Again, has nothing to do with the book. And three, these like, you know, seven word reviews where it's like, I don't think this person read the book. Because like I'm so, like the ideas disagree with them. There's you cannot read this book and not learn anything. Okay, like the ideas disagree with them. You cannot say this book is poorly written because it's it's just not. It's really a, it's a, it's very well written. I'm a great writer. I'm not good at everything, so I'm comfortable saying that. So those are just like the frankly they're the bullshit reviews. But even with a few of those mixed in, even with people who are like going to give a one star review because the book is super short, it's still got four point a lot stars. Now. Okay, a couple questions on that. You said that the way in which it was positioned for the offer was mm-hmm. better and that it leads to them wanting the thing that, that you're selling. Can you kind of break that down a little bit more and explain the differences in the two books and how they relate to the offers on the back end of them? Again, let's go back to our structure of a product launch, right? A lot of people have seen three videos in an offer. And a lot of people think the structure of a launch is give, 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 take. 
right? Or teach, 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 sell. That's not it, right? Those three videos are each meant to do something different. The first video is about helping people see an opportunity where there wasn't one before, right? So they're inspired by something that is possible that wasn't possible for them before. Maybe it's something they wanted, but they tried and they failed. They've kind of, they've given up. It's gone to a place of, of, a, of it's not an acute, I think I want to do this. It's a chronic, I don't think I can do this thing. So something emerges onto the scene, some, a change in the market, an idea, a way of looking at things, whatever, that makes something possible again. That's the first thing. The second piece of content is about helping them see that it's not just that it's possible in general, but it's possible for them. So what you want to do is think about what are when it comes time to present your offer, what are some big objections that people are likely to have? And in the second video, you're not like addressing them one by one in a list, but whatever you're teaching, whatever you're explaining between the lines is about addressing those objections before they come up. Now you're teaching in the first video, you're teaching in the second video, but there is a purpose to what you're teaching. You're not just teaching random stuff. And the third video is about showing what life can be like after they've kind of gone through this journey with you, like future pacing. Um, and again, you're teaching in all of these, but there's something happening behind the scenes. So with the audience revolution, I did, I think, a really good job of presenting the emerging opportunity, like presenting what was possible when it wasn't before. But in terms of making it practical for people, I did that by kind of just teaching something out of the course. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. And things went off the rails there a little bit. So, I mean, you know, the process worked. We did well in the launch, but it wasn't, it wasn't as good as it could be. Whereas with Each and Grow Rich leading into the Course Builders Laboratory, it just it's much more elegantly done. That makes perfect sense and great explanation there. A uh, side question before we get into a couple final questions about uh, back-end revenue and stuff like that off these books. H- how do you deal with one-star reviews? Okay, so I've developed a... Dis- I mean, you just saw, I get I get upset. <laughs> and I mean, it bugs, the system bugs me. Like someone who... Because we offer, for example, you can get like extra resources. Someone who says that like one-star because the page is not working. I'm like, page is working. You typed it in wrong. And there's nothing I can do about that. So like it it, it frustrates me. What I've learned to try to do is just not check the reviews. What I've learned to try to do is just accept that, like, you know what? I don't think giving a one-star review because a book is short is legitimate. But you know what? I'm the guy, I'm not the guy who gets to decide that. The market decides what they think something is worth. And, and I've got to step away and just accept that. And I can either take that as feedback for the next time I write a book or or not. But like you don't get to make the rules. You can just decide whether you get upset upset while you're playing the game. So yeah, I mean, but like honestly. It's hard to deal with it because like, I poured my heart and sweat and blood and tears into this book. And someone who's like, you know, they haven't even given it a fair chance. They're not really reading it. They're just like, it hurts because I'm human and it is what it is. But just getting some distance and recognizing there are more, more important things for me to deal with is really how I deal with it. Like, I know you can, you know, you can leave a comment in response and you can ask your audience to, you know, hey, this came up. Like, can you leave a, a what do you think? I try not to get into that because it, it's just going to make me upset, even if it might be better for business. Mm-hmm. 100% agree on that. Okay, now, from a long-term perspective for your business, we've talked specifically about how these books lead into individual product launches, but how do you see these books as a long-term play for, for building not only your business, but also your following and your audience? So the two things. First of all, um, a book doesn't just lead into a launch. It leads into an offer. Right. When somebody gets the book, 
um, and there's a companion video series that they can get that essentially leads into a launch, that can happen live or it can be an evergreen version. Because just because someone discovers my book six months later doesn't mean they shouldn't be entitled to the same learning opportunities that everyone else was, right? So that's an ongoing thing. But ultimately, a book that you create is part of your body of work. As you create more stuff, it just becomes more and more visible. And the best thing you can do, like short-term, people like to, uh, you know, how can I increase my reviews here? How can I get more people to download there? How can, like, it's very tactical. But long-term, big picture, the best thing you can do for your, it's like create great stuff, write a great book. And that's not to say marketing isn't important. It is, it's incredibly important. But if you're watching this summit, marketing is probably already on your radar. And the danger for people who are kind of in this space is more like getting too excited about the marketing and forgetting that none of it matters if the book is not a great book. All right. So uh, a few kind of final questions. We'll kind of go rapid fire here. What's been one surprising opportunity that's popped up uh, as a result of writing and publishing your books that when you first did it, you thought maybe you just didn't think it would happen or it was just kind of a surprise? I don't know. Um, I don't know if I have a good answer to that question. Um, a lot of stuff has emerged, but when when I do, so this is my approach to business in general. I take stuff on when, you know, there's something that I clearly think it will help me to achieve. And I think the door is open for interesting strategic byproducts, right? So there are the benefits that I'm actually going after, but it's the kind of thing that could make lots of cool things happen. And so when cool things do happen, it's it's not a surprise. It's not like I was expecting it, but it wasn't a surprise either. So I, I don't know. I, I can't really, I can't bring to mind a specific thing. How about it, like an unexpected byproduct or something that's been cool that's come, that's helped you either build your business, your audience, or, or just like, okay. it's just got, resulted got, in just like... I've got something good actually. So, um, so the Course Builders Laboratory, which is our core offer, the moment at least, the September launch was the second time we opened the doors. Um, we opened the doors to that in January previously, and we've, we've already had a lot of students go through it. And Teach and Grow Rich was actually, this is also something that I guess was different from, from the audience revolution, in that it's a different kind of book from stuff I've written in the past. It's less how-to, it's more big picture, it's more about where I see the industry going. It's a little more cerebral, it's a little more kind of high level. And I wasn't sure how that would be received, but it's like, I had stuff I wanted to say, it. I had stuff that I think is important. And it actually did really well for us in that it attracted the caliber of students that we got has gone up quite a lot, right? We're attracting more of the people who jive with my message. And like, that's the power of writing something great and putting in the time to write something great that is not, I mean, you know, engineered for the market is important because like that sounds super devious, engineered for the market, but it just means that you're thinking of the people who are going to read it when you're writing it, which is just frankly being considerate. So it's important that it be engineered for the market, but it's also important that it be something that you're proud to stand behind. Um, and that's been really powerful for us. That's great. And that's a great surprise benefit. And also kind of tying together a really good theme here, which is make sure the book is good. Make sure the book is designed for the market. Make sure that you're thinking of the end customer and that, that, that you have them in mind when you're creating this book, not just slap together a book and start marketing it because you're not going to be successful doing that. So I'm so glad you touched on that. Final question that I have uh, is what would be your parting tip or piece of advice for someone uh, thinking about writing and publishing their first book? Think about why you want to write and publish the book. So, okay, so self-publishing has become very popularly accessible in the, in the last you know, handful of years. 
Um, the internet has flattened the landscape for a lot of people. It hasn't made it super easy for everyone, but it's made it a lot easier than it was. And there are a lot of ways to get exposure for your book. There are also a lot of ways to do things that are frankly both not very ethical and also pointless. Like there are a lot of vanity metrics that you can game very easily, but so what if you like it doesn't actually accomplish anything? But it's very easy to get caught up in the, you know, self-publish your book. It's gonna change your life, it's gonna make you a millionaire, it's gonna keep like it's easy to get caught up in that, but like if you don't have something of value to say, don't bother. So start thinking about what do I have to say? What can I create that would be really valuable to people? Like a lot of people in our market in our industry, they talk about you know funnel design and ladders of ascension and all that. So you know you've got the seven dollar thing, the twenty seven, and the ninety seven, and the et cetera. And I've always objected to that idea because your core focus is only going to be one or two things. Right. In my case, it's my programs, which are multi-thousand dollar programs, and my books, which are very cheap and affordable. But if I were to add a whole bunch of layers in the middle, my focus couldn't be on all of them. And so something would have to be not as good. And you don't want to have things that are out there standing for you that are not as good, that are not your core thing. You just created because it's a step in the ladder. So don't create something to be just a step in the ladder. If this book isn't going to be one of your core things that you're proud to put your name on and you're proud to show to people, then you shouldn't be writing it. So think about what can you create that will fit that, that will meet that criteria. Love it. Danny, thank you so much for coming on today. I really, really enjoyed this interview and kind of taking a peek into your brain and to why you do what you do and also how you do it. I know it's been very valuable for me uh, and I'm sure everyone listening, uh, it's been very valuable for them as well. So final question, where can people go to find out more about you, your books and what you're up to? Three places. You can go to miracy.com, which is my website, M-I-R-A-S-E-E. We've got hundreds, close to a thousand free articles. The content's amazing. A lot of it's free. Go check it out. Second place is on Amazon. You can search my name or you can search my book, Teach and Grow Rich. Again, I am biased, but it's really, really good. And it's like $3 on Kindle. So, you know, if you don't like it, get a refund. But seriously, it's really, really good. And third, if you're a person who likes to listen more than uh, to read, my book is available on, on Audible. But also you can check out my podcast, Business Reimagined on iTunes. Awesome. Danny, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you could be listening to, YouTube channels that you could be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode. All right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast, all the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, and then number three, this is probably the most important, uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right, reviews are super important and help this podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, so number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that, I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right, all you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book, Published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step, so how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. 
So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.